वेलकम टू सिंटॉक Talkers around the table today discuss the ways of water. We'll think about the past, present, and future of water, and its dialectical relationship with Earth and human and other life. We'll think of water as water, but also as sometimes a metaphor. What is the role played by water in the process of inhabitation? is water ever in a state of completion is it important to keep the rivers flowing and will there be any free flowing rivers in the future what will really happen if all the ice in the world were to melt in what ways is water truly unique and can something replace water in the very long run we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers around the table today Professor Dilip Dakuna is an architect and a planner, and interested in issues of water and watery imagination. He teaches at the University of Pennsylvania and Srishti School of Design in Bangalore. Shripad Dharmadikari is a researcher and an activist with particular interests in water and energy. He lives in a village outside Pune. and professor ramesh rangaswamy who is a scientist working to decipher past climate of the earth and current processes in oceanography he works in prl in amdabad thanks to all of you for making it it's a great pleasure and privilege for sin talk to have you um dilip maybe we set the ball rolling with you um to understand at a very high level why you find water interesting and it's interesting use the word watery imagination uh why is water interesting to you i mean as a I mean, first of all as an as an architect mm-hmm. you know what is fantastic about water and you know is that uh, you know it it doesn't hold its own space as it were i mean or perhaps it does and it eludes us <laughs> you know, and uh, and and I think there is a certain elusive uh, quality to it uh, that uh, mystifies uh, and defies, perhaps because we are so wedded to some of you know some of the fixed dimensions of uh, terra firma, you know, of, yeah. of the earth, and yeah. um, and so of course that's, that's to some extent that doesn't exclude air as well, but mm. uh, but there is that. that elusive sense i think that it brings that uh, that then pushes pushes me as a designer to ask it's a challenge you know, of sorts yes you know i mean what would it what would it be actually as a ground of design mm-hmm. uh, as a ground of actually thinking um you know with with a certain with a certain i wouldn't call it lack of firmness as such but but with a with a certain openness i would think mm-hmm. it's an openness because that i think is the best aspect uh, of of water is that you know it's it's open you know it's fluid you know it's uh, relative as it were you know it and and i think that that i think excites me i mean there's another aspect actually that i that i find particularly fascinating is that uh, is that uh, you know the issue of water everywhere 
you know there's water everywhere there's yeah there's water everywhere i mean i think that's sort of popular knowledge i mean to, yes. to some you know and that uh, human body has some i mean almost entirely actually water in some sense and you know but then water is in moisture water is in the air water is in you know it's it's fundamentally almost anywhere even in the desert you know i mean it's in the dew it's but yet actually when we when we think about it in in uh, you know particularly through maps mm. you know we see it somewhere it's and blue it, only somewhere <laughs> exactly it's blue in in a particular place mm. and uh, and that actually is something that fascinates me actually because what it suggests uh, is that is that when we look at maps when we think of property when we think of when we think of history you know on the basis of maps we're actually thinking of one moment in time actually it's a moment in time it's a moment in time so i mean if you if you hear it where you know you got to think through the hydrological cycle yeah you know, the hydrological cycle tells us that water moves through various forms yeah um but then why do we see it actually why do we privilege one moment in the hydrological cycle when water mm. is somewhere in a river we don't mm. you know so surveyors for example don't go out to draw maps in the middle of rain Mm. you know in the misery and i mean that's the time they just actually keep away because that's the foul weather season <laughs> so somehow you 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 realize actually so our maps that, are the benign version almost of absolutely it mm-hmm. is it is a it is fair weather it's a fair weather landscape it's a fair but weather. it doesn't stop there actually it it actually extends into into the time of you know constructing a time of reality mm-hmm. that is fair weather and we have made the rest actually into ephemerality yeah you know? and so so if you if you think of people who live by rain by the measures of rain or you know dew in a desert these are people who are already marginalized because we have chosen to see water in a particular moment so there's a time aspect to water that i find fascinating you know i yeah. mean and then the and the and and so it's not just about its fluidity in space it's about its fluidity in time and if we can sort of challenge ourselves to live at other moments in the hydrological cycle why mm-hmm. live in the moment of rivers can we live in the moment of rain mm. of precipitation can we live in the moment of evaporation mm. uh if we choose to live in those moments of the hydrological cycle we mm. will probably have a you know a very different legal system we probably have a very different uh, different uh, you know i wouldn't even call it, it may not even be settlement mm. uh, it may not be a settlement system but all this sort of leads me into into thinking that there's so much that we have defined to be civilization quote unquote that is grounded actually in river thinking which is actually one moment in the hydrological cycle when water is somewhere yeah and actually I, you know mm-hmm. this is a, a very very, very very important idea and uh, i think it has some very practical implications mm-hmm. uh this this notion i think it's a very good way of putting it that you know the maps or our uh, depiction of the hydrological cycle only captures one small part of it's it or frozen one, in a one, moment yeah, in time in yeah. a moment and even uh, in time and in space and there are some very practical implications mm-hmm. you know our entire planning of water yeah uh, you know whether it's for agriculture whether it's for anything else is planned around rivers and lakes and ponds uh, water which we can see or groundwater but there is a very big component of water which is a part and parcel of the hydrological cycle which is not seen and even today not recognized and that is soil moisture 
वेरी लार्ज क्वांटिटीज ऑफ वाटर आर रिटेन बाय द सॉइल पर्टिकुलरली द टॉप सॉइल एंड दे आर द दैट वाटर इज द वन व्हिच रियली यू नो फीड्स द प्लांट्स एंड द क्रॉप्स बट दैट इज नेवर कंसीडर्ड in any of the water planning and i think that has a very serious impact in how we design our systems how we you know whether we design large scale canal based systems or whether we design smaller decentralized systems which can uh, conserve the soil moisture whether we use uh, chemical fertilizers which tend to degrade the soil and compact it you know losing its water retention capacity or we want to encourage organic fertilizers which tend to make uh, the soil you know much better much more textured and uh, you know increase its uh, moisture retaining capacity so it's i think it's very it interesting is, yeah. so shripat tell me something you know for example we just change tracks a little bit rivers are they fixed clearly they aren't right um, and with i i think they'll kind of touched upon that a little bit you worked with the narmada for a bit and at least engaged with it in many many different ways over time and if you just go back in history look at our current historical present and kind of zoom out um how dynamic are rivers and river system um do they keep changing off and on maybe we go to you ramesh and whichever which whichever way you want to take it do rivers change a lot yes, do rivers they do. change they do change a lot mm. in the modern context they are changing in the negative direction they are drying up because of excessive usage mm. but when the water is plenty and especially in the plains mm. they can move around mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. rivers have been changing their courses and many archaeological excavations have shown that uh, the indus course had uh, widely shifted i mean on either side of indus and both in pakistan and india mm. we find archaeological sites sure so that is an evidence that uh, you know river has been rivers have been dynamic in the past sure and they will continue to do so in case uh, excess uh, heavy rainfall events take place quite often as has been predicted the rivers can really change courses yes and shripad i think you know for example do do rivers need water as well for its own sake yeah i think uh, i think this is a is a very very important question you know uh but before that let me just Please. uh come back to this question of do rivers change or this yes. thing so i think let's start with the question of what is a river and what is i a think river? Uh, uh uh again i think you know what dilip has been talking about in terms of we have you know captured certain fixed frames and then you know so uh, we make that into the entire reality now a river of course when we talk about river we see a big stream sort of flowing through and that is a river certainly but i would argue that every part of the catchment being you know wherever the rain falls and then that rain collects and flows into a stream and that stream flows into another That's stream that's the extended river yeah you know every part of that catchment is actually the river the river you know so when you talk about the river it's the you know you can talk about different parts of the river the mouth you can you know you have the central part you can have the origin of the river but every part of the river is a river i think that's something which we uh, need to understand otherwise what happens is our fixation again with the just the main stem as it is called in uh, you know so it's uh, not a line it's a region yeah. it's, it's a region it's many different streams it's the smallest stream it's you know technically what do you call the first order second order third order streams mm. but it's all the small streams it's also the entire catchment mm. what is called as the river basin you know mm. which is an integral part of the river in fact river basin planning would include all the vegetation all the you know geology all the people all the other sort of uh, biota as a part of the river basin mm. so mm. you know that's uh, very interesting yeah. very but the common thread through this of course is the flow and again i must point out that the flow of a river 
can be on the surface but a lot of the flow of the river can also be subterranean underground mm-hmm. you know which is of course not seen and it's part and parcel of the groundwater uh, but it's also flowing so you know it's uh, not always very easy to put boundaries to a river and i think it's also important for us to understand that the ground and the surface water are also an interconnected entity but yeah. you know if i can if i can uh, say yeah. something here you know the uh, it's fascinating to look at this actually as a historical trajectory mm-hmm. that uh, you know when when you first defined a river i mean i think as shipa just said i mean you know to some you you designed the main trunk sure. and then it has evolved actually into its extended i mean and this is really the work of a surveyor yeah. you know <laughs> that they have they have uh, i mean and this this happened i would think to a large extent actually in a post enlightenment era mm-hmm. wherein surveyors went actually with a sense of defining all streams and tributaries that come into them so they have defined the main trunk then they define everything else as a tributary of the main stream and this is actually very disputable i mean like even the ganges or the ganga you know if you if you will i mean what is the main stream i mean the gagra brings down much more water than than you know than the bagirathi and alakananda actually combined but we still actually go by the bagirathi you know and and this if you look at it historically you will see that this main trunk has been justified in some way actually by surveyors but actually there is no you know logic to understanding it as a mainstream but then if you move in the direction that shipa is talking about that you that you go into this network and then you you know you get into a watershed now watershed uh, as, as an idea actually is classic 1800s 1900s you know as a as a so we are still thinking what actually what led to that idea the watershed yeah actually watershed you know does not mean in an area actually in mm-hmm. in in uh, in uh, sure. you know, only the americans actually that use it actually as an area based mm-hmm. but most most countries uh, uh, think about watershed as actually the limits the line actually that uh, that separates one you know where rain flows in one direction and when rain flows in the other direction rain flows rain yeah it's actually precipitation and this is what is fantastic actually that's very that interesting only mm-hmm. in the 1600s and this is where you know thanks to to a guy called pierre perot actually and another figure actually in the same decade called mariot mm-hmm. uh, two frenchmen who told us to some extent that all water in 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 rivers is precipitation of one form or another and i'm sure yeah. that ramesh will speak to this at some point mm. you know is precipitation and so when you move to the complexity that shripad is talking about that you know we've started with the main trunk we've moved into tributary systems then we have moved into these you know we've got even rills in and we've got you know it's an amazing dendritic yes. kind of pattern now that Absolutely. by which we gather you know the water of a you know of a of a river basin but as we have moved in this direction and shripad seems to be wanting to move in that direction where the whole area now is a river <laughs> then we have come closer to the idea of rain where precipitation is in the first place actually you know we we have arrived I, i should say we've come all the way around back to rain so i mean i'm sure that if you were to meet a farmer in india they would have told you this right from the beginning i mean why did you go through this 2000 years of scientific investigation because this has really been happening you know from the time <laughs> of thales thales and anaximander of the you know school of miletus mm. you know who first problematized the nile mm. you know in 6th century 6th century bc if you had to if you had to sort of you know follow their tra- the trajectory from there you realize that they've come around to what people already new all along <laughs> you know and uh, and it really you know sort of makes you wonder but in that process you've created you've created big dams you've created you know you've created all the systems Which you know of river thinking uh, moved when moved in a very fixed 
conception of what a river is or what river systems are. That's it's very interesting. I think that there's some very interesting ideas that will unravel them as we go. Uh, Professor Ramesh, if we when you think of uh, ideological cycle, and uh, Dilip spoke about it. What exactly is it, and what does it involve and not involve? What do we don't know about it, and what is what to you? Um, how do you look at it as a scientist? Um, and is it is it elemental? Is it an entity? Um, is water the same everywhere? How different is it? Tell us tell us something about its complexity. Okay, uh, the hydrological cycle basically comprises of evaporation from the oceans and precipitation or land. Precipitation is a common term for rain as well as snow. Sure. Uh, he was mentioning about uh, contribution of rain. There is also snow melt contribution to rivers, perennial rivers. Mm. So snow and rain together, we call it precipitation. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when it falls on land, there is a something called runoff, which goes into the rivers yeah. eventually. And then there is a part which is infiltration, which goes and recharges the groundwater. Sure. Uh, which see, is what Sripa uh, pointed out. Soil. This groundwater also slowly flows into the ocean. So that completes the cycle. The sure. water starts from the ocean, goes through different parts of land and goes back to the ocean. That is the hydrological cycle. So there isn't a single water molecule in the world which has never been in an ocean. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's all derived from the ocean and okay. uh, we have spent sufficiently long time on the earth, 4.5 billion years. Yeah. <laughs> By this time, I think most of the molecules would have come At least through these many cycles they would sure. have passed through. Sure. And uh, this whole system is uh, based on the energy which you receive from the sun. Yeah. The water is a originator of life as we believe today. Sure. And water also has cosmic connections. It is connected to the sun because when the sun apparently moves to the north mm -hmm. over the Tropic of Cancer, mm -hmm. the whole rain belt shifts towards the north. Right. And uh, the other part of the winter season, the apparently the motion of sun is towards the south and the whole uh, rain belt shifts towards the south. And this north shift, uh, mm -hmm. north-south shift is maximum in the Indian Ocean because Indian Ocean is uniquely land on the north and ocean on the south. Correct. Whereas in Pacific and Atlantic, it's all ocean distribution or land distribution. Right. So we are uniquely placed... This uh, this movement of this uh, water water uh, water cycle is very strong over the Indian Ocean. So that's why in India we get plenty of rainfall compared to other. Uh, and, and therefore, is, is, this is the connection. Sure. The sun is the essential driver of the hydrological cycle. Sure, 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 sure. So most of the evaporation that happens is off the seas, off the oceans. Yes. And, and if you look tell us something about the ocean, how how complex is it? I mean, does it? I mean, if we go okay. to the bottom of the sea, okay. Um, so if you look is at that the, getting evaporated as well? Yeah, does no, it? I don't think there is any there is no evaporation at the bottom of the sea. All mm. the evaporation takes place from the surface of the ocean. How deep does uh, one go? The surface, uh, uh, the sunlight can penetrate into the ocean up to a depth of about hundred meters, and the, most of the evaporation takes place in the top one meter. So if you look at if you look at the over, overall precipitation over India, the average precipitation you can take it to be around uh, uh, 1,000 millimeters or 100 centimeters, all India average. And this is precipitation. precipitation. This is the rainfall plus snow yeah. plus everything. Mm. Uh, so that is uh, just about you know one meter. And that is the amount of uh, water which has evaporated. No, but the surface area of the ocean and the surface area of the land is obviously different, right? So yeah, that is true. Mm. But uh, evaporation does not take place uniformly over all through the ocean. It is only the tropical region, plus or minus 20 degrees, where the heat is maximum. Sure. And that is where the area of excess evaporation or precipitation. Right over the equator, there is a precipitation. But... Uh, 
you know if you come away from that there is an asymmetry so tell us ramesh is water the same everywhere how water different is, not, is water water is not the same everywhere you water, think of it as an element yeah we, you can call it an element or can you can talk think of a chemical formula for water as h2o sure but then what we see as water and feel as water as a much more than this uh, combination of uh, hydrogen and oxygen because uh, it incorporates in itself uh, dissolved and suspended loads which uh, derives from interacting with the rocks and soils which it comes in contact with depending upon what rocks or what uh, soil it has contacted it has different kinds of nutrients which will give rise to different uh, types of uh, living organisms in that microbial life so all these things make up the property of the water and also there are some uh, isotopic contents of water uh-huh. for example pure water which is only h2o 16o 16 oxygen whereas there are small quantities of heavy oxygen is also present that is 18o and sure. that is actually toxic for human human beings or even life it is generally toxic so the levels are right now below the much below the toxic level it is around 2000 parts per million Mm-hmm. so if you look at uh, meltwater from the himalaya mm-hmm. they don't have much of this 18o if you look at bombay precipitation outside today you will have <laughs> higher higher amount of oxygen 18 so as you go towards the polar region the heavy rainstops are distilled out of the rain that's very so you get uh, very pure water that's mm-hmm. why ganga water is probably thought to be very sacred in india because it is non toxic pure ganga water is non toxic whereas if you get rain in the tropical belts you may have slightly higher amount of oxygen 18 still it is below the toxic level but uh, oxygen 18 is not good for and the, do you think of rivers and oceans as being different kinds of uh, yeah, water they, systems how yeah, exactly are the different at a very different. conceptual Firstly, level the obvious difference is the salt content the ocean has sure. 35 grams per kilogram of water 1 kilogram of sea water is sure, about 35 sure. grams of water whereas the water which you get in rivers and freshwater lakes is uh, doesn't have so much salt content is minute very small amount of salt so that simply has to do with the fact that the rivers are flowing is, is, is no is it is not right? because it has been distilled out because of the it has undergone the eva process of evaporation from the ocean mm. where the salt cannot evaporate it stays behind in the ocean and only the water vapor comes therefore that is the purification even the salt must be staying suspended somewhere at the top right that is and extremely small quantity in parts per million you can't even taste and find out Sure. So and it picks up additional salts when it comes into contact with the uh, rocks and soil. So it does pick up some salt. So if you keep having some of the dams that Shripad would know about yeah. in the, in a thousand years are yeah. they likely to turn saline? Yeah. What they they very very likely to turn saline because water stagnant at one point. How long will it take? It may take thousands of years. thousands of thousands years. of years because this process of acquiring salts by erosion and dissolution is a very slow process it's sure. not a very fast process it's a very slow process and the more uh, more immediate danger is the uh, it will be oxygen levels in the water stagnant water will become very low mm. it will be anti life i mean a life cannot survive in waters which are very poor in oxygen what so exactly it, is the difference between stagnant and flowing it's yeah, flowing water flowing content. yeah flowing water is anti- continuously in touch with the atmosphere so oxygen continuously it dissolves life and it yes mm. it continuously dissolves in water whereas in if the stagnant water only surface part of the water is in contact with the right uh, atmosphere and that is being consumed by organism in the surface itself so the deep water water becomes anoxic and sometimes very dangerous levels it can build for example we had a, a, an accident in cameroon where there is a lake built up lot of carbon dioxide and suddenly all the carbon dioxide came out into the atmosphere it caused killing people in the vicinity so this kind of things can happen if you 
keep water stagnant for a long time it's very interesting that's but interestingly enough i think you use uh, you use water in, in both the senses sort of almost interchangeably all the time i mean you use it as an element and then you use it as a compound yeah you know as h2o and so when it is when it is in the form of h2o that you're talking then then you speak of so you speak of uh, you know the dissolved salts and you speak of the pollution and you speak of you know you speak of elements um, you speak of compounds in it that actually pollute it but then just as easily uh, we move into talking about water in more general terms which is almost as an element uh, yeah, separate from from the earth so it moves through the earth you know whereas uh, uh, you know so water i mean i just feel that there the we earth. get into a bit of a fuzzy ground mm. you know as to when water is moving through the earth and when it is when the earth is water you know so i mean i could have you know sort of muddy water i mean you know that is yeah. that i could call mud you know yeah. it's like the like the like the mississippi is called the big muddy yeah. uh, but we choose to see it as water i could also choose to see it as liquid earth mm. you know at the same time so you you get into into fuzzy ground and so we but somehow today when we i think because we privilege uh, our thinking in the hydrological cycle so much we think of we think of some kind of pure water i mean if we think of water treatment systems we think of this and so it's very we speak of the compound water very easily yeah. h2o that's right um, so dilip you're almost implying that water has been subordinated by land oh yes long. I mean that certainly this is when this is when <laughs> I feel you talk about when we talk about it uh, you know as an no, actually, element even if you look at muddy water mm-hmm. the water can be separated out because water it doesn't react and become something else the water remains as water it picks up yeah. so many things it's always easy to retrieve water by just boiling it off and condensing it correct so water even though it is involved it keeps itself separate you can be easily separate it, it retains only, its identity yeah, it is when it's only a mixture so it yeah. doesn't get spoiled even in dirtiest way acting in israel people are trying to take out drinking water from sewage and yeah. they recently demonstrated so the uh, water remains pure and yeah. it can mix with so many other process it can uh, uh, go into many uh, mi- mixture with many other compounds but it can be always retrieved in the pure form but but that same argument i mean i could actually i could actually you know draw out salt from sea water and it's a mineral you know and i could easily say that the sea actually is a mineral you know called salt yeah. it just happens to have water you know in it so so again i mean i think that yeah. these are subtle ways in which actually we have subjugated water you know and uh, you know and uh, in, in you know it sort of and, and privileged it in certain places i would say we you know we've kept it in the ocean and we've kept it we've kept it at a distance and we somehow believe that we live on dry land mm. you know and i think <laughs> uh, and i think that that act so of so your conception is a lot more porous where uh, oh yeah i mean i think there's a lot more fluidity i mean i think water i think the present of water and our choice of seeing it where we want to see it actually just reveals to some extent our disregard for it in a in a way you know i mean it is a and uh, maybe it is so malleable that it has just allowed itself to be to be read in this manner but i feel that that uh, the subjugation is really witnessed i think in this uh, in in the act of separation where we have told water be there don't come here you yeah. know and we have now become so uncomfortable with water i mean i mean it's sad actually to be here during the monsoon actually in a, in a place in like bombay where you know slowly we're beginning to see actually this erosion of the love for the monsoon because it becomes such a pain yeah. i mean any thought of rain coming you know it said oh god you know we're going to be flooded <laughs> uh, and and so we have we've started we've started looking upon i mean i'm sure shripad will have a lot of thoughts on this if we that we marginalized it to this extent but i really think it comes from 
It comes from an act of colonialism. I think our first act of colonialism, to some extent, was was uh, was by putting water in its place. You kept water <laughs> in its place, and you subjugated it by being there, you know, and not being and not being here, and you controlled it. Is that because it's being it's it's perceived as a threat, or why would it be? I mean, if if the Portuguese or the English or whoever they, no, I think they, it goes back many many more centuries than than that. I sure. mean, it goes back really. I mean, like I've said, you know, to the to Thales and Anaximander in sixth century BC, right. who really first asked the question of the Nile. And they problematized the Nile but, when I it mean, flooded. They called they called it a flood. Yeah. But nobody in Egypt saw a flood. It's just that water rose, and and they moved water into their field. But uh, but here came these uh, so-called you know natural natural philosophers, mm. you know, and they looked at it and said that they saw they saw water crossing a line, and it's water crossing a line that they drew. So I like I you know, and this is what I often say: What is flood? Flood is nothing but water crossing a line drawn by a human being. Yeah. You know, I mean, and yet we have not pushed ourselves to rethink the thing that we are talking about. We still want to say that that's a river in flood. I mean, and and we've actually now even made flood into a natural phenomenon. You know, I mean that uh, that ecologists believe that there's a floodplain and that flooding actually creates ecologies and ecological cycles. I mean, that sounds absolutely bizarre because flood is something that we have created ourselves by mm. defining a river or defining something. As a containment of water, you know, and uh, and this thing. So it's the most unnatural thing, you know. Flood is the most man-made, you know, sort of phenomenon. Would you, you say know, that? Would you say that? I'd say Shri it's Bhat. a man-made notion. I will not say it's a man-made phenomena. The phenomena has always been there. It's a part and parcel of the natural phenomena, but it's a mad man-made notion. You know, we said that this is the line. If water crosses this, then it's flood, and if it stays within those boundaries, it's not flood so in that sense i think the notion is is man made but not the phenomena itself but uh, shripad if i can inter- interrupt you for a moment it means when you know it's not that it's not that uh, when water crosses a line you know it is it's flood and when it is you know and when it is there it's 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 not flood I, i think it is it's more like saying that when it is behind the line it's a river and when when i say it's behind the line it's a river that i think comes into question actually when you question flood you question the existence of the river right so i place. think what what you're saying is that uh but uh you know what you're saying is that we are constraining the notion of a river by saying that it's a river only when it's behind this line and rest of the time it's in flood so it's a different thing uh at least that's the way i see it and i see it i agree with you i think that uh you know the the water as i said i think in even the notion of the river as only the main stem is a false notion the river is actually the entire river basin and also the ground flows and you know so a lot of things uh and i think pa- so we humans in trying to understand it have you know limited what would you the- say to that shripad i mean do you think uh, water has been subjugated uh yes and no uh so i was just coming to that i'm saying that we have tried to uh in trying to understand river rivers and like any other natural phenomena we have also put some limiting notions to it and uh, i think this is a par- part of the reason is in trying to understand it we break down into smaller parts which are more understandable which is the typical modern science you know the reductionist reductionist, uh, reductionist approach of modern science uh and it's useful i'm not decrying that but i think there's another phenomena which takes place and that is when increasingly when we are trying to use nature for meeting our needs wants and then luxuries 
Okay, so of course, all of our all human wants are, are, are met from nature. But as we started making increasing demands on nature and natural resources, then they started becoming, uh, you know, things which are there for human consumption and human use. And I think that's the point where we started putting this arbitrary notion. So a river is important to generate electricity if it is channelized. Yeah. And therefore, this channel is the right place of the river, anything above that is flood because then it is harmful. These notions, I think, came as we tried to increasingly usurp, you know, the natural resources uh, for our own needs. I think that's the way I would see it much more. So I would say it's true that we have put these notions and a lot of that comes from trying to, you know, divert and use resources increasingly for human uh, ends. Interesting, interesting. Ramesh, why don't we... Tracks and maybe I go. would like to comment on this yeah, before we go. Please. See, rivers have been naturally, they have found, I mean, rivers have been there for quite some time. Even mm. before man existed on this earth. How long? Rivers were, man has existed in the modern man 100,000 years. Not before that. Okay. Okay. So even before that, rivers were there. Rivers, they choose the natural paths available for them to flow where they're low, low lying. Water finds its own level. Yeah. So, it is so now we're talking about modern man and definition of rivers and flood. If you observe a river for about 30 years, you know what is the mean flow. We define an average. Sure. If it exceeds that flow, we call it flood. It sure. is not that we are trying to subjugate water. Actually, we are subjugated by water. Water, we can <laughs> never subjugate water. I don't think we can subjugate water. It is based on a long-term observation and there is an average level defined for a river. Sure. Whenever it exceeds, I think we one call understands the process. Yeah, one yeah, understands the process. I mean, if I can, so, say, can I say something? Yeah. Please, yeah. please. You know, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, you know, that we have, that we never, you know, we never, we, we, we try to subjugate water. Yeah, you we know, can't we tame don't it. succeed. You know, but it's like that. We've tried to su subjugate people and we don't succeed. They somewhere, <laughs> you know, they will gain independence. So I feel I'm using that sort of analogy. You know, uh, it's success of subjugation is another is another whole, you know, <laughs> sort of uh, issue. But to, to your point, actually, that rivers have always existed. I just want to say one thing, you know, that, that rivers actually are defined by flowing water. I mean, yeah. this is the, right. that rivers... This thing of flowing water, yeah. and so if you if you believe actually that some of these lines that you're reading, because that's what you're reading, you're reading lines in paleo geography, you know that uh, you know either made available now by satellite or made this thing, and you're saying that this was a river, you know, and because it was a flow, but one could argue that these were not flows to begin with, that these were actually overflows that it, water was held before it flowed. If water was held before it flowed and it did not flow from springs, you know, that, that in other words, there was no source and destination, you know, to, your, to the line that you're looking at, but that it was a series actually of overflow structures, however large, you know, uh, then you're getting into holding systems. You're not getting into river systems. And I would argue actually that on that ground, I mean, as a larger systemic, on a larger systemic ground, that rivers did not exist, you know, and, and in fact, rivers still do not exist. What you have is overflow systems that, that exist and much more feel like we like to see them as rivers only because we can control them. So and did rivers, is, I think, you know, I mean, there's, some, there's a notion that did rivers come into existence much after water did? You know what I mean? Of course, yes. Much, yes. much, much water after water. Water has to be there for rivers to start. Without water, there is no of river. Of course, no, but I mean, but uh, in the, naturally, they, were not, they, they were not naturally coincident. There was a huge gap, maybe. Between, I think that's an excellent point, yeah. You know, yeah. You know there is a natural uh, tectonic activity in the earth. 
Yeah. So there is always higher higher point and lower point in the earth. The earth was completely it cannot be completely even spherical. Yeah, it's not a spherical. So always yeah. there are ups and downs and therefore a flow is possible through a gradient. So mm. and whenever there is a mountain there is always more rainfall there because of the ascent. Yeah. Therefore more rain on the mountain and then it flows down. Yeah. So rivers could exist as a since there was your origin of water and origin of mountains in the earth rivers could have existed. This is what I feel. Mm. Mm-hmm. but i could easily mm. i could easily on that on that ground i mean when rain falls when rain falls actually i could look at it as as it soaks like you know yeah. shripad said it goes into yes. the ground yeah. so until the ground is saturated it don't start only when it is saturated Do you get the river? does it go yeah. does it extend yeah. so if i look at every drop on falling on earth you know as actually holding and then saturating and then It's and a post-saturation event. Yeah. It overflows. Mm. And that, so that, holding that happens, comes first. That happens only in the plains. When it falls on the rocks of the mountains, there is no soaking. It just flows down. No, even there, I can argue, momentarily, mm. momentarily, actually, there is a stopping. Oh. I mean, there is a thing. It's only when, oh, it's only when I mean, saturation, I, I mean, here I'm talking on a relative scale. Okay. There could be something happening immediately and something happening on the longer term. Okay. But if one looks at it like this, I'm just thinking of the benefits. I'm saying, you know, for a moment, if you suspend the notion of a river and you give in to holding systems then you're talking really about about overflow systems and holding comes first and so by your by what you're telling us i mean that that rain came first i think it's a beautiful notion actually if rain came first why do we convert it into rivers why can't we keep that moment of rain as the moment of reality and keep seeing it as actually soaking first or you know and and the same before it flows and forms rivers i believe we look at rivers and and its form precisely because we can control it mm. it gives us a sense of power and that is why i don't believe actually that there that certain cultures that all cultures were driven to this kind of control it's a peculiar uh, you know view of some cultures and we have bought into it i don't believe that you know even india or places of the monsoon actually thought about rivers first they always thought of rain Is it possible to have a civilization around rain alone? Oh, absolutely. I think that the Indus Valley and the and the and the you know the Ganga, if you want to call it a, a civilization, because mm-hmm. I I now hesitate to use the word civilization. It's so associated with rivers. Sure. But if I'm thinking of it as rain and driven by rain, then I'm really looking at the Indus. I'm looking at even the Nile. Nile is the monsoon again, actually. Mm. That that is flow, you know overflowing through Egypt. Uh, it just happens to be the leeward side and not the windward side of the of the of the Ethiopian highlands, but I I would think that these are all rain civilizations and rain civilizations were not linear on rivers they were on you know things like the Nile or the Indus or the Ganga, people lived in the Ganga they lived in the Indus and they lived in the Nile, you know so on that basis I could see them as rain. if you want to use the word civilization they were yeah. rain civilizations and not rivers but we would think of their architecture differently and i think we would think of the the geology and maybe the paleo geology differently yeah ramesh uh, uh, do you have anything yeah, to say yeah, about that yeah yeah water I, i can i can understand that water is required for civilization water is required people it need not be necessarily rain because oh. rain occurs sometime it doesn't occur sometimes mm. but with, there should be a permanent source of water accessible maybe a lake or a pond or a river river people like because most of the year there there was flow in the indus in the ganges because of in non rainy seasons you have the snow melt and therefore i think uh, river was uh, required because they wanted to have water any time they wanted 
So rain, it is not possible. Rain is highly seasonal in some places, unless you go to the mid latitude where it rains throughout the year. But Ramesh, there are so many places there where there is no, there are no rivers. But now we have rivers there, like Bangalore, for example. We have oh, no I rivers, see. but we brought the river to Bangalore. Oh. <laughs> Why can't we take the rain to other places? <laughs> Ramesh, let's change tracks. Let's yeah. talk about the phases of water. I yeah. think it's the. I think one of the delightful things about water is that yeah. it can be snow, it can be vapor, it can be. Yeah. What what is so special about water scientifically? Yeah, scientifically, and water is so special that it um, it has the highest specific heat of all the normally available compounds, barring ammonia. Of course, ammonia is not so easily available. Okay. Naturally available compounds, water has the highest specific heat. It has the highest latent heat of evaporation. So this makes it unique in the sense that you can't change the temperature of the earth very highly. I mean, like in Venus, it has gone to 470 Celsius. Oh. You can't change the temperature of water because water has high thermal inertia. To heat water by one to by one degree, you have to give a lot of heat. Sure. Then only it will heat up to one degree. Therefore, mm-hmm. any amount of heat you put it, it's a, it it's keeps a, the earth stable. It's a thermostat, thermostatic. This thing. It's thermostatic. Secondly, mm. water to to move, to bring rain and to bring uh, existence of rivers, water has to move. It carries its own energy because when it evaporates from the ocean, it has picked up some energy, yeah. which is called the latent heat. Yeah. So when it comes and rains over land, it releases the latent heat. Yeah. Therefore, maintains the temperature gradient between the ocean and the land, and therefore it is able to self-sustain. One of the aspects of life is its life is to self-sustain. So water, the monsoons system is also able to self-sustain because water has the highest uh, latent heat of vaporization. So these are the unique properties of water and it is a polar molecule and it can dissolve many substances. It is able to control the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by using it for eroding the rocks and therefore over a long term water has been played. What about snow? You know, I'm kind of reminded of that question in Catcher in the Rye of what happens to the fish when the lake freezes. Yeah. When the lake freezes, uh, the water has a property that uh, its density becomes maximum at uh, 4 Celsius. Normally when you cool some substances, the volume will decrease and therefore the density will go on increasing. Right. But water density becomes maximum at 4 and then starts decreasing. Why? That is the property because the when you arrange molecules in a particular fashion in water, when it goes to a solid state, it is slightly the angles are changing. The angle between the OH bonds are changing. Sure. Therefore, the ice becomes uh, less dense compared to the water. And okay. therefore, when the ice forms, it is able to float on the water and then completely cover the lake so that the re- remaining part of the lake un- under the ice cover is still liquid. And therefore, ice, uh, the fish and other organisms can survive. This is a unique property of water. Secondly, all the volcanism, <laughs> volcanism which you see, volcanic volcanic emission of carbon dioxide, other things can made possible by the presence of water. What actually happens is in subduction zones, water is going down the oceans. And because water is mixing with the rocks, it reduces the melting point. So rock can much easily melt when the water content is more. If water content is not there, the rocks cannot melt very easily. So water makes all these dynamics very simple by contributing in various ways of the unique property of water. That is so interesting. That's so interesting. And would there would there have been life on the planet on Earth if there was only liquid water or only snow or only vapor? Only vapor, it is very difficult. Only vapor means it will contribute to greenhouse warming. Mm. So, so water is a greenhouse gas. 
Water is a very powerful greenhouse gas, but it is not. It is uh, being. So why doesn't it heat the planet up then? It doesn't heat because uh, when it goes up, it condenses and comes back as water. Yeah, so, so that water cycle again so comes into play. So water is a critical temperature. So the temperature, the boiling so point. So how long does it take for the water cycle? Water cycle to go? I mean, is it many About years? Eleven days. Eleven days. They every eleven days. Eleven days. Every eleven days, all the water vapor gets out. I mean, on the average, sure. On the average, whatever water goes into the atmosphere comes back to the earth on about eleven days. That's the global uh, mean. Global Ramesh, mean. you, you <laughs> think you made the, you made a point. I mean, perhaps earlier that uh, you know that there are, there could be molecules in the ocean that actually don't come, yeah, you know, yeah, don't yeah. emerge yeah. at all. Yeah, I mean, they just remain yeah, in the yeah. ocean, like in yeah. the Marianas right. Trench or something. Right. Because yeah, they are, yeah. It is a stable. Would you would you conceive the possibility actually of a molecule having remained in the air all along actually and not come down? Yes, uh-huh. that is possible because theoretically, a water it, molecule in the air, yeah, yeah, in the, the atmosphere. Theor- theoretically, the lifetime is an ab- statistical property. The lifetime goes from zero to infinity. So there will be some average where <laughs> the peak it will peak and it will go asymptotically down. So it is quite possible considering. Uh, uh, so ten to the power twenty-one liters of water are there just in the ocean, and multiply with the Avogadro number, it is ten to the power. Forty-six or ten to fifty molecules of water are there, <laughs> so it is quite possible that some water molecule stays back in the atmosphere. We'd like possible. to meet some of them. We'd <laughs> like to meet yes. some of them. I mean, you know, I've heard the term uh, "infinite river" used actually to describe the hydrological cycle. You know, and there are moments yeah, like this actually it's that speak loop. to its infinite sense. You know, the molecules that actually don't show up. I mean, yeah. and that you know just sort of remain in the same state. Not only that, know, the molecules are being destroyed and by the photolysis reaction, and it becomes hydrogen and oxygen. The hydrogen escapes into space. So slowly, there is a very very slow process by which Earth is losing water. Water which is able to go leak into the stratosphere. And go there because ultraviolet radiation comes and immediately it splits. Sure. And the hydrogen is so being so light it escapes. So we are uh, fortunate in the sense that we still have a lot of water left to be destroyed. Like that will take millions of years before the water goes away. Yeah. But water is slowly being destroyed also. I see. That's interesting. Yeah. We can always hear. Water is being destroyed. Yes. Isn't yeah. there an equivalent of uh, law of conservation of water or something? Generally, we believe in conservation, but when you consider the planet as a whole, there is a leaking to the outer space. Yeah. And um, because of photolysis and the hydrogen part just goes out because it is so light. So very slow uh, loss of water is there. Like like Mercury has uh, lost water. Uh, moon has lost water like that. Yes. Yeah, they are small planets. They are not able to have enough hold gravity. Enough gravity water, to hold it back. So they have lost. Earth being big, it is able to keep the water. So we don't need to worry for the next several no, billions of all, years. Not at all. Okay, not so that's all. good. So it's not quite correct <laughs> to say that uh, that uh, you know the same amount of water has existed on Earth actually Mostly from the time it, it was. Mostly the same. I mean, if you are going to if you have <laughs> millions of dollars <laughs> in and historical time scales, no, no. yes. In <laughs> if you have millions of dollars and you are going to lose one cent, uh, you are not worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are. <laughs> so Earth is a water billionaire. So yes. Interesting. Shripad, let's talk about dams for a while. And, you know, you kind of engage with that notion for a bit. And if you just try to think back and go forward again, like you've done on a few instances today, um, what is the core problem with damming rivers? And um, do, you, do you see dams existing several hundreds of years out? Or... What what I'm mean, not your not your desired future, but where do you think it's all headed? Well, uh, dams essentially, when you talk about dams, and again, dams can be of many different types and can have you know many different implications because of that. But essentially, by dams, what you are trying to do, the core sort of meaning notion is that you 
stop the flow of water yeah. and hold it back. And then either you divert it out of the river or you change the pattern. For example, in irrigation systems, you would put a wall across the river and hold and store the water. Yeah. And then you would divert that water through a canal outside the river into you know, some other parts uh, where, and then, you know, use it for agriculture. So typically an irrigation system, canal system would work like that. Sure. Um, whereas uh, if you have a hydropower project, uh, it could stop and hold the water, but then release the water into the river itself. So uh -huh. the dam and run a turbine in the process and generate electricity. Sure. But it would alter the pattern and flow, pattern of the flow. So I think what what is what the dam is doing essentially is, it's an intervention into the, natural system of the river, which is basically flowing in a, uh, with certain quantity of water, has a certain pattern of flow, has a certain quality of flow of the water. And the dam actually interferes in What do you mean by it. that? What do you mean by quality of flow? Okay. Uh, I think this brings us, this quality issue, you know, you, if you remember just early on, we talked about how water everywhere is different. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's true for a river water also. So when, when you see a river flowing, actually it's not just the water that is flowing in the river, yeah. but it's water with sediments and nutrients. And that's a very, very critical... And, and, and life. Yeah, life of course. Yeah. Life of course. But I'm sort of saying sure. that life is something which is sustained uh, by this. So life also. And uh, when you dam a river and the water sort of stops flowing, then the whole nature changes. So... A flowing water, for example, cannot necessarily hold all the sediments. So some of the sediments settle down. Mm -hmm. um, Professor Ramesh has already talked about how some of the life dies out because it cannot support. There is not enough oxygen, and that cannot support. So that the chemical nature of water changes, the uh, physical nature changes because you know the solid, some of the sus suspended sediments can settle down, and then um, so the water which is let out of a dam may be completely, uh, you know. Uh, has a different composition. So if we were to dam all the rivers up in the world, Shripad, what would happen? In fact, uh, what, what you're doing by damming, I mean, lots of things could happen, but in terms of sediment, you're actually depriving the areas downstream of the sediments, of the nutrition. So for example, rivers which earlier used to flow and flood the floodplain. Yeah. Uh, would actually deposit those nutrients. Now that would no longer happen. And in fact, it also has impacts on the deltas and the estuaries. The estuaries are supposed to be very, very fertile uh, areas uh, in the whole, you know, river, uh, sure. area, if you see. And part of that fertility comes from all this nutrition which is being brought by that. In fact, you know, there's a very interesting sort of anecdote um, which is, uh, I want to narrate here. So there's one... Um, uh, former Deputy Prime Minister of India, we shall not take his sure, name, sure. but he was often the butt of ridicule, though he was a very uh, down-to-earth and earthy fellow. So during his election campaign, mm -hmm. he's he's said to have it's said about him, we never know whether he actually said this or not, but during the election campaigns, he said that this previous government, mm -hmm. when it was giving you waters from the dam, mm. it used to take out all the electricity. <laughs> and, you know, it used to give you this you know, kamjor pani deta tha. It is to give this weak and, you know, water from which all the strength has been removed. I will make sure that... We'll we revitalize it. Yeah. But actually, you see, the thing is, he was actually playing on something which is very real. If you go to Haryana, when we traveled in Haryana for some of our studies extensively, farmer after farmer told us that the water which comes from the canal, the crops which are irrigated by that 
are not performing so well as the water which is they are not powerful from, enough from groundwater mm. and the reason there are other reasons why groundwater is more sure. effective because you have control exactly when you can apply that water because you know that's sure. in your control the canal is not in your control but one of the important reasons is that a water which comes into the canal typically the sediments have settled down the nutrients have settled down so the water is different and i think this notion is i think very important so you know um what that uh, Yeah. Uh, person was talking about he may have got something wrong but he got something right yes, accidentally yes. So i think this was so <laughs> again when you come to dams uh the point is that the dams affect quantity of water that flows into the river it affects they affect the pattern of water and uh for a river for a flow the pattern is as important right you know, the the pattern right. of the variation it is said that variation is the sort of life of flow yeah you know yeah. the low flows the high flows it's each the feature a, not the bug yes yeah. it's a feature it's not a bug absolutely yeah, absolutely and mm. equally important is the quality so mm. actually when you talk about make you know maintaining a river in a flowing state mm. it means you need to maintain the flow the quantity the the variety the variation in that flow and also the quality mm. this is what is important and the dams are affecting all of that now if you had a system where you had one dam in a you know say a 1000 km long river the effect would sort of ripple out and die off but as you have increasingly higher and higher interventions into rivers into river basins on rivers on their tributaries then you tend to you know have a much bigger and bigger impact and uh, what has happened is that through these interventions particularly dams and diversions mm. we have dried out our rivers Mm. we have completely changed their flow patterns where some flow is remaining where some places there is no flow remaining we have changed the quantity of river water by taking out things by dumping contaminants in it and we have really destroyed uh, our rivers so i think that uh, this is certainly How, not what, what percentage of all the rivers in the world would be dammed today uh it's, roughly I mean. yeah it's very difficult to give a count but uh, one analysis done which is about 10 10 or 12 years back maybe 15 years back says that Uh, more than 60% of the large river mm. valleys in this world are either uh, highly or moderately fragmented right. and dammed so they're not free flowing they are not free flowing they are fragmented you know when they are fragmented the dams actually destroy the path for the fish and the biota to move right so you know it's uh, uh, you know having a multiple kind so of so just impact. as a thought experiment shripad what would happen if this number was not 60% but 100% Uh, well i don't think we need to really do a thought experiment for so long because i think we are heading there <laughs> you know we are increasingly heading there because you know it's it's quite uh, sad and how does one undo something like this because yeah, dams so, are massive yeah, uh, yeah it's quite do you, yeah, you just break I, I, them down yeah, i'll come to that but it's quite sad and very weird that you know the notion of river basin development that we have in this country and all over the world actually but also particularly in this country is governed by the fact that we have to extract every drop of water for human needs if we don't use and extract it then it's waste the river exists yeah. for us yeah and it's not a i'm not talking figuratively it's literal if you look at many of the government documents they talk about any part any uh, part of the water of the river which meets the sea oh it's going waste to the sea <laughs> now this is the guiding notion so and therefore we are sea is being Sea is being visualized as a drain, absolutely. as opposed to absolutely. And, and rivers, as, rivers as sewers, because that's it's you know they just forget that they are an integral part of the entire human civilization. So 
when this notion is governing how we see our rivers, then, you know, 100% uh, damming is, you know, uh, a natural sort of consequence. But uh, fortunately, I think uh, a lot of that now is being questioned, increasingly questioned. Uh, you know, 25 years... But you years, can't unmake a dam, can you? You can. And there are places uh, where that is happening uh-huh. a lot. Uh, for example, in the US, uh, there is a big move to what they call decommissioning a dam. And uh, I have myself... So you just stop holding water. You actually remove the dam. You remove the dam. It's a decommissioning and you dam removal. <laughs> and I have actually myself quite visited... A few dams actually. I have myself visited a, a river in France called the Loire River. It's a very, very well-known river. The Loire River, the you know, uh, for many, many reasons, the Loire sure. Valley is very, very well-known. And uh, in, the, in the 90s, uh, there were a series of dams which were being built and planned on the... Uh, on the lower river and there was a very very strong struggle against those dams uh, to stop those which were not yet done and to remove those which were built and I have actually seen how one of them was blown out and the river was you know opened up again and that that is now you know that that sort of thinking is increasing uh, and you know so increasingly the questions are being asked as to very interesting yeah that we need to keep our rivers flowing Yes, please. I would like to Ramesh. add to that. You are asking whether it is a hundred percent damming. Yeah. Nature will. Nature has its own negative feedback mechanisms. Yes. Nature would itself uh, set right this thing because when you have so many dams, you sound ominous. No, no, it is true. <laughs> it is true. Scientifically, I am telling you scientifically, the evaporation will increase in all these places where you have stored water. Right. And the hydrological cycle will be shifted to the concentrated in that place. So they'll become so oceans. There is tremendous amount of rainfall, and you, some of the dams may break also. <laughs> so water reacts to such, uh, you know, you so try to you, hold water. So dams will become oceans and they'll avenge. Yeah. Mm. I mean, they say that that is already happening to some extent also with sea level rise. Yeah. You know, that there's increased rainfall right. in some of these places. But, but you know, I mean, what is what I find interesting actually in uh, in this, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of a little, I wouldn't call it less optimistic. Perhaps it is less optimistic, um, especially in a place like India, I think, where, you know, there is such a, drive actually like this linking india's rivers for example you know that i think there is a belief there's a belief that you can simulate you can simulate flows and and life and right. you know nutrients and whatever you're talking about that a river can do we can do right you know and so it's a matter of it's a matter of putting Assuming our minds to it in ourselves. some way that's mm. what people will argue I think, and that is what is frightening. So, you know, it's like we link the rivers and we'll solve the problems later, you know, whatever appears. I mean, and that's the way we've been operating for a number of years. So I'm afraid, actually, that what you're saying with, the, say, the lower value, or, you know, as in America, it's happened in, I mean, I know they've decommissioned dams. I can't imagine that happening in India with the drive to development the way it is. And well, with they the have to do it in this no, I, I agree with you completely. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm optimistic about India. I'm just saying that mm. things are happening uh, yeah, yeah, uh, mm. everywhere. And... Uh, I'm not even saying that I'm pessimistic about India. I'm saying that even in India, we have both the streams. Of course, there is a very, very powerful uh, sort of uh, section which believes all that you said, Dilip, that, uh, you know, uh, we can simulate nature, we can take care of anything that nature, you know, uh, or, or any obstacle simulate that nature, nature puts, yeah, nice. any obstacle that nature puts in our way, we can take care of that. And you know, I think um, that mindset is very powerful. But I think there is also another sort of you know 
ஆரம்பிக்கும் since many many years uh, so i sure. think that uh, that's interesting yeah. that's interesting the what's the future why don't we spend the last few minutes thinking mm-hmm. of that um, do you envision a future where water is not subjugated as you put it that's right i mean i would think i would like to see the future i mean and, and this is where you know again i speak as a designer so Please. to me the future doesn't exist outside of my agency to some extent i mean i would <laughs> like to see i would like to see my myself sort of participate in making the future sure and the future that i would like to make actually is a place of liberated water you know i mean and i think that uh i mean much much of what uh, shripad is talking about uh, what does that know, mean um yes what does it mean actually it's a good it's what would that mean for a, design to, what would that mean for our cities what would that mean for the way I we think, live i think that one way i would like to see it you know is that if we had to even learn anything from the fact that water is everywhere i think it would be, it would you know how would we actually realize that in our technologies and and we you know what shripa is talking about i think uh, i feel that the problem is the problem begins with actually rivers i mean that we have actually controlled water before we have controlled rivers right. you know and so to me that the to me the liberation um you know of i mean it doesn't it's it's not about breaking the dam and and releasing the the river it's about releasing the river itself from the lines that we have bounded with yeah and if we can do that i mean i think i think we will i think we will see cultures that have you know that are suffering today actually at the hands of rivers because the rivers have become drains like yeah. in india i yeah. mean they become drains precisely because they were designed to be drains yeah. you know we we put them within two lines to be drains i don't know why people are surprised land. about it to begin with i'm sorry <laughs> i mean there, there should be no surprise about that fact yes. the fact exactly yeah. there should be no surprise i mean that this was intended <laughs> for the last 2500 years that's what we did and we got it so i i would like to see a future i mean and make a future actually wherein we are working with with water in all its forms working in all with water its forms. everywhere mm. you know that we are not we are not thinking of the desert as a hard place to live but we are working with the dew there you sure. know just because i mean we think sure. of it as a hard place because it's hot and there's no water sure. there is water people have lived with canal systems they lived with you know uh, all kinds of 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 uh, of of systems in 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 so called harshest places which are not really harsh That's and so i just think i would like to see everything will begin from you know from this one act of actually dissolving the line around you know, the river of uh, the separation of land and water and i think that that very interesting to a lot of things ramesh yeah, what's the future this, uh, much of this problem is accentuated because we have to give provide water to millions of people the population has increased that's why all this that's a major component uh, because the water is always available but the demand is increasing because the population is increasing and as a future i see that the technology will come Uh, with a solution like we will have uh, more desalination plants uh, from the you can get fresh water from the oceans and we can use solar energy which is available in plenty so people are working towards these two uses using solar energy making desalination plants so that we can get more fresh water rather than depending on rain interesting i think you're talking about technology he talks about a more fundamental reconceptualization and that's interesting thank you so much to all of you for making it uh, we look forward to having you soon again thank you appreciate it Thank you.